And I'll turn to God's holy word, and we'll turn our attention, first of all, to the Old Testament, to the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 3, actually 31, the verse 31 through 34. So Jeremiah 31, and then we'll turn to the New Testament, first of all, to Paul's letter to the Galatians, and then we'll also turn to the letter to the Hebrews. So this afternoon, we'll continue on. Two weeks ago, I was here, and dealt with Lord's Day 25. We talked about the sacraments from the perspective that God is a God who seeks to have a relationship with His people, a covenant relationship that's reflected in the sacraments He's given to us. This afternoon, we'll look at the sacraments from the perspective that God gives sacraments as a sign, a sign for the strengthening of our faith. So let us turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31 and through 34. And I read God's word, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will, give, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And then we'll turn to Paul's letter to the Galatians. In chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29, Galatians 3, verse 15, brethren, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as to many, or as, actually, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, and that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. And therefore, the law was our tutor 
to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then we'll turn to Hebrews in chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12. Here the author in this chapter talks about the men and women of old, of the Old Testament, who lived by faith. And in this section he is speaking about Abraham, who lived by faith. So Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 12. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And went out, not knowing where he is going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. And she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man and him, and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. For our reading from God's holy word. Let us turn also to that which we confess in Lord's Day 25 concerning the sacraments. The book of Phrase, you'll find it on page 539, page 539. And here we confess, since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They're instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments and intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed, the Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us, on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant to holy baptism and the holy supper? Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sacraments, we confess, are visible signs from God. Signs that also remind us about the relationship that God has entered into with his people. And of course, in the New Testament, we confess that we have Christ has given us two sacraments, namely baptism and the Holy Supper. 
And so in order to understand the value of the sacraments, we first of all wanted to understand how the Lord God builds his relationship with his people. And that's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. And we saw how the Lord is busy building an intimate relationship with his people throughout the history of the church. Therefore, the sacraments are a sign in which God says, this is my sign to you, that you are my people. And I... I am your God. Remember in the beginning, Adam and Eve broke the covenant relationship with God in paradise when they disobeyed the word of God. There in paradise, God had entered into this intimate relationship with them, but instead of maintaining that relationship, no, they, they broke it by their disobedience. And when they disobeyed the Lord God, they entered what happened is that death entered into that relationship that they had with God. But God did not allow that, that death that entered into that relationship to, uh, to be the end. No, God came to Adam and Eve after the fall into sin and he entered into a new covenant relationship. Even though they have sinned and they had rebelled against God, yet God came because he wanted to restore that relationship that he wanted so much with his people. And it is through the very work of the Lord Jesus Christ that this relationship is now restored in the, most beautiful, in the most beautiful way. And one day we confess that we will again live forever in the glorious presence of our God. But that leads then to a, another question. This question. How can you and I, how can we be sure that God indeed is restoring that intimate relationship with us. How do I know that God is wanting to restore the intimate relationship with me, personally? If I'm a sinner, if I am worthy of God's eternal wrath, His condemnation, then how? How can I be sure that God is not going to let His anger burn against me forever? You know, earlier in the catechism, there we confess that our conscience accuses us of having and still transgressing the very will of God, even today as God's own people. Right? Our guilty conscience says that we do not deserve anything from God, that we are sinners worthy of God's eternal wrath. And beloved, that which our conscience accuses us of is absolutely true. So How? Can I be assured of my salvation? Is it my faith? Is it my faith that assures me of that? Or is it maybe good works? If you think of Roman Catholic ideas, or you think the prosperity gospel preachers who would make it clear that it is through your good works that you may be assured of your salvation? And the answer is no. None of that gives us the assurance of our salvation. Our, cell, our assurance rests solely in the covenant promises of God. The sacraments are closely connected to those covenant promises that God comes and He makes with, with us as His people. God says to His people, He says, This is my promise, and my promise is that I will restore you again to a living relationship with me. And how will I do it? I will do it through the saving work of my Son, Jesus Christ. And then what does God do? God doesn't just give us His Word. 
doesn't just give you verbal promises. No, he says, then here, here is a visible sign. Here is baptism. Here is Lord's Supper. Not only as a means by which you might remember my promises, but also it's my seal, it's my guarantee to you that I will keep my promise to you. Beloved, God is a God who keeps His word. Our God is a God who fulfills every promise that He's ever made. And therefore this afternoon we will confess God's word under this theme. God gives us signs for His covenant promises. So God gives us signs for his, for his covenant promises. Under that theme, we look at three things. First of all, God's, we look at God's covenant promise and signs, the connection between them. Secondly, God's covenant and promise. And thirdly, God's covenant promise and faith. Whenever God makes a covenant, God also gives a sign together with that covenant. Did that already in the beginning. Remember that God, the Lord God gave a, a rainbow to, to Noah as a sign of the covenant that he made with Noah. God gave circumcision as a sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham. God gave the Passover as a sign for the covenant that he made with the people of Israel there in Egypt. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus has given to us the Lord's Supper as a sign of the new covenant. And he's given us baptism as a sign of that new covenant as well. But the question that we need to ask is, so what are all these signs? What are they signs of? And you can simply say this, is that they are signs of the promises that God makes in these covenants with his people. When God makes a covenant, beloved, God always accompanies his covenant and his promise with a promise and with a sign of that promise. And so our question here is, so what does God teach us here in his holy word? Right? We, we all have that word. We have it in our homes. We read it. We may even study it. What's God trying to, to teach you in that word? Perhaps if I asked a question and you were to answer, you might, uh, you might respond and say, well, well, God is teaching us about himself. He's telling us that he is the creator. Uh, he reveals that he's the almighty God who, who rules over the whole world because he wants everybody to know who God is. Perhaps somebody else might answer and say, well, the Bible tells us a story uh, about God's mighty works uh, that God has done in the world, and God is a God who's done all kinds of wonderful things in the history of this world. Perhaps you might answer and say, well, you know, it teaches us about the Lord Jesus. Jesus who came to this world to, to save his people from death on the cross. The Bible teaches us about how the Lord Jesus rose up from the dead and he ascended into heaven and now he rules over everything from heaven. And beloved, indeed, that's, we read all those things and we learn all those things about God and what God is doing. And yet, and yet it misses the very point, it misses the very reason why God is speaking to us through his holy word. You see, God wants to do more than just tell us about himself. God's main purpose is to tell us about his promises to mankind. And so we can say that, that the Bible is, indeed, it is a book of promise. 
And so you, you can learn everything you want about, about God, right? There are many theologians and, and many scholars who know the Bible inside out. But if you do not understand God's promises, all that knowledge about God is absolutely useless to you. When you study the New Testament, what does the New Testament, what does it teach us? It teaches us about how the Old Testament promises of God were all wonderfully fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, he says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Paul is speaking here about the promises that God made to his people long ago in the Old Testament. And he says all those promises, they have their yes in Christ. When Jesus Christ came, all the promises that God made to his people are now being kept. And we can say, God has fulfilled every promise that he has ever made. Beloved, that is made perfectly clear by the book of Hebrews, where the author in chapter 10, verse 36, encourages the believers. He says, persevere in your faith, for you, why? For you will receive what God has promised. And then he writes in the very next chapter about the Old Testament men and women of faith, who, in order that he might show how they believed those covenant promises of God, and they were never disappointed in God's promises, why? Because God kept every promise that he ever made to them. So you see, God's people are a people who live by the promises of God. And what makes it possible for us to be able to continue to live with peace and with comfort in our heart, beloved, is the promise that God has given to you. You ask yourself, so what made it possible for Abraham? To obey the Lord God, but God commanded him. He says, Abraham, you go and, and leave your country, leave your family, leave everything that, that is precious to you and go to another land that I will show you. Abraham doesn't even know where that land is. He doesn't, doesn't even know where he's going. But Abraham goes. Why? Because God made a promise to him. And Moses, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Why? Because of the promise of God, that God said, God, I will, I will deliver Israel, I will deliver them out of Egypt, and I will give to them the promised land of Canaan. So you see, beloved, that, that God's people do not worship and serve God just because He is God, although, indeed, that should be enough, you could say, and it should be enough. But He is a God who also comes to us, and He comes to us with these wonderful promises, and those promises are what gives us the hope that we need in our daily life. You see, without God's promise, beloved, you cannot live. You cannot have life here on this earth. Life becomes impossible. Life becomes like hell here on this earth without the promise of God. If you don't have God's promise, then you have no reason to live. You might as well give up your life. You might as well commit suicide, so to speak. That's why euthanasia is something that is so prevalent today because people have given up. There's no reason to live because they have no promise to, to, to live by. Without the promise, the only prospect that we have is that the world one day is going to come to a blazing end and there will be nothing left for us anymore. 
Think about the whole climate doomsday scenario that, that we hear about so much in the news today. That climate doomsday scenario is a result of people rejecting God's promise. Especially the promise that the Lord Jesus will again return from heaven. No, here in His covenant, God makes a promise in which He says to us, I will give to you life everlasting in my Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews says that's what the Old Testament saints, what they believed long ago. God came and God promised He would give them eternal life. He would give them salvation. And what were they doing? They were waiting. Waiting in faith. Waiting for the day when God would keep His promise and it would come true. And so the Scriptures tell us about the many times that the Lord God came and He made a covenant with His people already there in the Old Testament. We'll explore some of those in a, in a moment. But in each case, God did not only give a promise. Every time He made a covenant promise, God also gave a sign to go with that covenant promise. And the purpose of the sign is twofold. First of all, the sign is a visible reminder of what God has promised. And so children, you know that you sometimes see the rainbow in the sky and you get all excited. And you're, right, you've, there's a rainbow. When you see the rainbow, what, what do you think about? Of course, today the, the rainbow, the symbol has become, has been made something perverse by our culture. But as a Christian child, as a, somebody who grew up uh, knowing, the, knowing the Bible, you know that that symbol has a special meaning. You know that that rainbow is a reminder from the Lord God Himself that God's promise long ago that He will never ever again destroy the world by sending the flood here on the earth. So every time you see the rainbow, it makes it very difficult to forget about what God has promised long ago. But the rainbow is also important because God says, this sign is my seal. This is my guarantee that, that I will never, ever again destroy the world with the flood. And so God uses it to let us know that we never need to worry about the flood destroying the world ever again. Our God is a God who keeps that promise. And the same, beloved, the same is true for all the other promises that God gives in His Holy Word. When God makes a promise, He gives a sign of that promise. And with that sign, He assures us, I will keep every word that I've ever spoken. Now we need to take a closer look at God's covenant and the promises that He has made in this covenant. When you uh, study the, the Old Testament, you will see that God made a number of different covenants throughout the Old Testament. When you come to the New Testament, then the Lord Jesus speaks about a new covenant. Paul, in writing to Gentile believers in Ephesians 2 verse 12, says that before you came to faith, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without, Christ, and without God in the world. So what's Paul saying here? Paul says, as Gentile believers, before you became the faith, you had no part in the covenants of the promise. Paul's talking here about the covenants that God made with his people in the Old Testament. 
You notice how Paul is speaking here about covenants in the plural, for God made several different covenants throughout the history of Israel. But he speaks about the promise. He speaks of the promise in the singular. It indicates that there is but one promise. Many covenants, yet one promise. So the question, the question here is, so, so how should we think about the relationship between all these different covenants in the Bible? Important to, it is important for understanding the connection between the Old and the New Testament that we understand what those connections are between those covenants. Some time ago in a pastor's class, one of the new believers asked about dispensationalism. Dispensationalism that got us into some deeper theological discussions. Or the simplest way to explain the idea of dispensationalism is to think about different covenants in the Old Testament as different periods of time, different periods of history in which God works with His people in different kinds of ways. So God will deal with His people in each period according to the covenant that He's made with them. Just to mention a couple of periods, think for example the covenant with Abraham, they would say is a period of promise. And then Moses, well, then Moses is a period of the law. And then with the coming of the Lord Jesus, now we're in dispensation, we're in the period uh, of grace. So in this scheme of things, the New Testament, to a large extent, is now separated from the Old Testament, even though many recognize uh, that the apostles are making, indeed, are making connections to Christ already in many parts of the Old Testament. But if Paul speaks about many covenants, but one promise, then Paul recognizes that all the covenants in the Scriptures, are, they are intimately tied uh, together by that one promise of God. So how do we need to think about all those covenants? Uh, there in the Old Testament, it leads to the New Covenant. If we do not understand the connections between the covenants, and beloved, you cannot understand how the New Testament sacraments are related then to the signs of the Old Testament promises either. And so understanding those connections will help us to better understand that there is indeed, there is a unified message uh, through the entire Bible. And there's a unified message through all the covenants that God makes. God is working already from the beginning. He's working towards the salvation that He will give to us in Jesus Christ. And so when God enters or makes a covenant with someone, He comes into a relationship in which He makes a promise. And while each covenant has a particular focus, yet in each covenant, God makes a promise in which He says, I will care for you, my people, and I will give to you my salvation. And those who receive God's covenant promise, they can now live with their hearts filled with great hope. Hope that God will indeed work for the sure fulfillment of the promises that he has made. When God enters into a covenant with you and with his people, beloved, then you can be absolutely sure that God is going to fulfill his promise because if he doesn't, imagine that if God doesn't keep his promise, that means that God is no longer God. Well, God's first covenant promise is the promise he made to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 verse 5. There God promised that the seed of the woman 
the child that God would give to Eve will ultimately be victorious over the seed of the serpent who is the devil. And so in the very beginning, God promised Adam and Eve that he would save them, and he would save them by sending to them a seed, an offspring, his son, who would come and who would deliver them from the power of sin and of evil. And we speak about this as the covenant of grace. In the Old Testament, this promise gave God's people great hope. They lived each day expecting and waiting for the Savior to come. And that promise, beloved, was finally it was fulfilled with the coming of the Lord Jesus. And therefore, in the Old Testament, God's people, they were waiting for God to fulfill that promise. But today, in the New Testament, we now live in the era in which we look back and we see, and we see how that promise has been fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, both the Old and the New Testament people of God, they live under the same covenant of grace. Adam and Eve, they were assured of their salvation because of the promise of God. Today, beloved, you are assured of your salvation because of the promise that has been fulfilled in Christ. Right? We all, Old New Testament people, we all look to the same seed of the woman. We all look to the same Jesus Christ who came to bring us salvation. The great blessing that we have today is that Adam and Eve, is something that Adam and Eve did not yet have. And that is, we now live under the fulfillment of the promise. We know who the Lord Jesus is. We know who the Savior is, the one that we look to for our life. And so the covenant of grace, you can say, is the overarching covenant that was in existence in the beginning and continues in existence even today. What about those other covenants we read about in Scripture? How are those covenants connected? I only have time for a very quick overview. After God made a covenant with Adam and Eve, Genesis tells us that, that all of mankind became unfaithful to the Lord and, and, put their, and no longer put their hope in the promises of God. What was the result? Well, the result is God came in His anger. He destroyed the whole world uh, with the flood. He's only saved Noah and his family, and he entered into a new covenant with Noah. What God is doing there with Noah is he's renewing the promise that he first of all had given to Adam and Eve. God now says, I will make a new beginning with you, Noah, so that my covenant of grace may now proceed through you and through your family. But then you know what happened. You know that after a number of generations, the people, uh, again, they became wicked and they, they turned against the Lord God and their arrogance. They decided we're going to t build this tower called Babel into the, into the heavens. And God came and he punished the people by confusing their language. And that's the point at which God comes and he chooses to make a new covenant with Abraham. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I have chosen you that I might make from you a great family. A family chosen that I have chosen to be my people and I will be their God. And so here again, the promise made to Adam and Eve is renewed with Abraham. For God promises also Abraham, I will give to you a seed, I will give you a son. And through him, Abraham, you will become a great blessing to all the nations of the earth. You notice here, beloved, that God does not change his covenant of grace, does he? But because of the rebellion of mankind, God now renews his covenant with Abraham. And now he gives him a sign of circumcision and as a constant reminder, as a guarantee that he will give that promise for generations after Abraham. 
And then it was some 430 years later that God entered into a new covenant with his people Israel at Mount Sinai. And in this covenant, God not only promised to be the God of Israel, but he also gave to them his covenant law. That's why there are many today who think that this period of Israel's history was the error of the law. Those who believe that during this time, God's care and God's salvation is based on Israel keeping the law of God. And as long as they kept the law of God, uh, then they would be okay and they would be, they would be saved. You know, that's an approach that, that the Apostle Paul himself vehemently disagrees with when he writes to the believers in Galatians, chapter 3, verse 15 and following. In verse, 15, in verse 17, then Paul of Galatians 3 there Paul writes, he says, the law introduced 430 years later, that is after Abraham, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God with Abraham, and therefore does not do away, does not do away with what? With the promise. In the next verse, Paul says that the inheritance promised by God does not depend on the law, but it depends on the promise. That which God in His grace gave to Abraham through a promise. So then the question is, so, so why then did God give the law to the people of Israel if He knew that the law could not save them? Paul answers his own question in verse 20, 24 of Galatians 3. He says, so the law was our guardian. I think the, your translation speaks about a tutor. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So a guardian, a, a, a tutor, refers to a servant who would watch over a master's son. A tutor's responsibility is to protect the master's son and to keep him in line and make sure that he does his, his work and develops his talents. And that way, Paul says, the law in the Old Testament was not the means of salvation. God gave His law to Israel to guard them from straying away from the Lord God. It was not the law, Paul says, that saved them. But salvation can only be found in the promise of the Messiah and of the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, even God's covenant people at Mount Sinai, or even God's covenant at Mount Sinai, that covenant constantly reminded the people of Israel, you need a Savior. Even though God gives them the law, God says you cannot live without a Savior. Remember, God gave Passover as a sign of that covenant. And that was a constant reminder of the people of Israel. You need a lamb. You need a lamb who can indeed be given as a sacrifice to cover all of your sins. And God commanded them. They are to daily, they are to give their sacrifices in the temple. That was a constant reminder of the need of a greater sacrifice. One that could save them. And so, Paul says, what the law could not do, God promised He would do for Israel through the, through the Messiah, through the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, and later the seed of King David. And so it became clear that even though Israel had the law of God, yet over the generations, what happened? Think of Israel's history. Then they not progressively, then they become more and more disobedient and rebellious against the Lord God. But yet the Lord God is not defeated by the rebellion of his people. 
No, what does God say? God comes to his people through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. And God says, you know, a day is coming when I will make a new covenant with my people. And there you see, beloved, how the Lord God is progressively working towards the covenant in which the great seed, who is the Messiah, will come to Israel. Israel, yes, they were still living under a guardian in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, God will put his law here in the hearts of his covenant people. We'll write it there on our hearts. He says in verse 33, I will be their God and they will be my people. So you see, beloved, the covenant today in the New Testament is, is not new in the sense that the promises will be different. But it's new in the way that the Lord works with his people and works with us in his covenant. Peter speaks about that on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 17, when he shows that from Joel, the prophet Joel, that in these last days, Peter says, God will pour out his Holy Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit comes, beloved, and, and he directs the hearts of our hearts. He directs our hearts to Christ. He directs our heart to the promise of life and to the promise of salvation. Therefore, after Peter commands the people to repent and to be baptized, remember what he said to them in verse 38. He says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all that are far off. So the promise of the gospel remains. Beloved, that promise never changed, even from the beginning, Adam and Eve. That one promise of life, that one promise of salvation, Jesus Christ, has stood firm through the ages. And each time that God renewed the covenant, each covenant was based on the promise of the coming Savior. And the new covenant that God makes with us today in Christ Jesus, beloved, that covenant is based on the same promise. The promise is this. That for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord God will forgive us of all of our sins. That promise, beloved, is given to believers and is given to their children. Baptism is a sign that God's promise, given in the beginning to Adam and Eve, is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And in his new covenant in Christ, the Lord comes and he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we and our children may respond to that covenant promise in faith. You know, when we talk about God's covenant, I think we, we often talk about the promise and the obligation of the covenant. Oh, wait. Probably in catechism, you've heard that many times. Maybe even in school, the teachers, Christian teachers have taught you the same thing. Right? God gives his promise, and then we also confess that we have an obligation now to be faithful to God. And you know, that's absolutely correct. But here's the danger. The danger is that we often tend to twist it in a way that is not biblical. For here's the danger. We think God has made this wonderful promise, a promise that I don't deserve, and now all I have to, and now all I have to do is fulfill the obligation so that I may enjoy that, sal- that promise of life and salvation. Do you notice what we often unconsciously are doing? 
We're making the promise dependent on keeping the obligation of the covenant. As if doing God's will and keeping the law will guarantee that we get the promise. And beloved, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. For the promise becomes ours, not through our works, not through keeping the obligations, but the promise becomes yours through faith and through faith alone. For you see, what, what happens is work says, what is work says? Work says, I must do something to deserve God's promise. What is faith today? Faith says, I can do nothing to make me worthy of God's promise. Because I am completely dependent on God to keep his promise to me. Faith says, God, God, I'm lost. I'm absolutely lost. Please keep your promise to me. Lord, you have promised that you would forgive me. You've promised that you would give me eternal life. Lord, I depend on you to keep your promise. Because if you don't, I am totally, totally lost. Beloved, that is the response that God seeks from his covenant people. A response that only becomes possible through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your heart. In Hebrews 11, the Lord gives us many examples of Old Testament believers who responded to God's covenant promises in faith. And the writer now gives these people as examples in order that he might teach us how we are to live in a covenant relationship today with our God. And he reminds us about Abraham. So remember Abraham? Abraham who by faith when he was called to go to a place he would receive later as his inheritance. What did he do? He obeyed and he went. Even though he did not know where he was going. Now the point is not that Abraham was so obedient to God and because he was so obedient to God therefore he now earned that promise of God. No, the point is when God gave him that promise Abraham responded by faith. He believed God's promise. And beloved, when you believe something with your whole heart, then you will also do what you are called to do. Hebrews also gives an example of Moses. Moses who gave up his comfortable place there in the palace in Egypt in order that he might be mistreated along with his fellow people, the Hebrews, Israel. Why did he give that up? Well, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value, Hebrews says. You see, Moses believed God's promise that he would receive a future reward, that he would receive salvation. It was not Moses' actions that saved him, but it was his faith in God's promise. And because Moses believed, therefore Moses was also faithful to the Lord. And so, beloved, when the Lord God now comes to you with his covenant, when he gives you baptism, and when he gives to you the Lord's Supper, and he gives them to you as signs of the covenant promises, 
then the proper response, beloved, is a response of faith. A response to which I say, Lord, I believe. I believe you with my whole heart. See, the Lord gives you these signs of what he promises he will do for you in Jesus Christ. I know. I know in my own life that I don't deserve the promises of God. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've done things and I've thought things that are shameful, that are disobedient, that I've not been faithful to God. But yet, I praise you, Lord. Praise you that in your love, in your mercy, you will give to me this glorious promise so that I know that I have indeed a future. Your promise, Lord, your promise is everything to me because without your promise, I have nothing. Lord, I trust that you will do exactly what you have promised me because I know that you're God. And if you're God, then you will keep every word you have ever spoken. And so, Lord, help me. Help me to be faithful. I may be faithful to you all the days of my life. Help me to, to serve you out of love. Because I know in myself I can do nothing. And therefore, I trust that you will do what you have promised for me. For it is in Christ that I am now certain of my own life, in Christ that I am now certain of my salvation. I praise you, Lord. I praise you for your goodness. And I praise you for your mercy. Amen.